Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Welcome to episode 215 of Martha Runs the World. My guest today is a walker. He's an author of seven books. He's a motivational speaker and world traveler. He's walked across many countries. He's going to tell us about his adventures, and I know you're going to want to hear his stories because they are great. He really is very motivational. He makes me want to get out there and walk, even though it hurts a lot just to walk a mile. And keep listening after the interview because I'm going to give you a progress report about what's going on with me and my lovely hip problems. I tell you, I can't wait for these this to be all over. Let me, it's uh, Okay. But anyway, first off, here is Sean Anderson. Well, you welcome to the program. He's a walker. He's an author. He has written um, several books. He's a motivational speaker, wor- world traveler, and he's also an all-around ordinary guy. Will you welcome Sean Anderson? Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Martha. It's good to be with you today. Thank you for the graciousness of allowing me to be on your show. Well, thank you so much for for being here. Let's get started from the beginning. What got you started walking? Oh, fiddlesticks. Uh, you know, I I was never a walker. And what's so ironic is maybe maybe 25 years ago, uh, when I was a big jogger, a runner even, whenever I'd see walkers, I'd kind of laugh and, to myself and say, oh, I'll never be a walker. Uh, and now I'm not only am I a walker, I'm like an extreme walker. Uh, I mean, a guy that walks 750 miles across the country is not considered a, a light walker, is he? No, no, you are extreme, definitely. Yeah. So, so you started and you started really enjoying walking then. Well, I did, you know, running, being a runner takes a real fierceness of spirit every day because to get out and to really put put your body through that kind of long running thing. I mean, man, it takes some, it takes some motivation to really go out and do that. And, and my focus when I was a runner was probably more on how's my body working? How am I doing? Can I pick up my pace? How fast am I going? And as a walker, it just allows me to slow it down. It allows me to slow it down and, and not just focus on, on, you know, my breathing, but it allows me to focus on what's around me, the sights and, and there's just been a deeper appreciation at, at, since I've become a walker. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't an ordinary runner in the sense I'd run a, a couple marathons. I'd done a hundred mile race. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't just your average everyday jogger. I was a guy that was pretty intense about it for many, many years. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I love to do both, but I know in a lot of my writing, they said, yeah, I'd love to enjoy this scenery, but I got to get to the aid station in time or I might not make the cutoff. And <laughs> oh, my, my feet are killing me. And oh, I can't breathe. And oh, why is this hill here? And oh my God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when you're walking, you don't have to worry about that. No, you, you really don't. I mean, um, especially if you're a trail runner and you're always a little bit nervous about that invisible tree root or that rock that you didn't quite see. I mean, you are my lifting up my feet, you know, high enough. And after 10 miles, for some reason, our feet just don't lift quite as high as they used to lift. But, you know, walking, certainly I've had a few incidences of walking, but it's nothing like being a runner. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've only fallen once. And why is it when you fall, it's that little teeny rock 
that teeny little half inch rock sticking off the trail. It's not the big root that you see. It's a little bitty thing. It's like, why? Why does that happen? <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, it's funny though. My worst injury, my worst injury, uh, has come as a walker over a runner. So it was the very first time that I'd ever walked across the country. It was back in Spain. And that first day I was going from St. John, France, um, across the, over the top of the Pyrenees Mountains and down. And at that time, I just was exhilarated on day one. It's a brutal, nasty first day hike to acquaint you to, to walking. But that first day, I'm, I'm feeling great. I made it to the top of the mountain, which never ended. And as I'm going down the mountain, there was a choice whether you could take the gradual trail and make it down into the, the valley or you could take a steeper trail and you could you could go down. Well, I wanted to get down faster because the light was running out on me that day. And so I took a steeper trail and I was moving down quickly. Well, now this brings me to the worst injury I've ever had. If you go down hills too fast, there's this little muscle in your ankles oh. that begins to come so bothersome. And like by day two or three, that those babies were so swollen and so painful to walk. So my worst injuries have come as a walker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The downhills after a while. I used to backpack when I was younger. And after and I think the longest trip well, the longest trip was two weeks. And I think after a couple of days of downhill, you just pray that you get a couple of days of uphill because those two days of downhill would just kill my my legs. Oh, that yeah. hurt. Yeah, and, and it doesn't even matter if I'm walking or jogging, because I still jog. I, I I love I love uphills more. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but it's they're they're certainly more painful. They're certainly harder. They're certainly uh, they don't ever seem to have a an end in sight. But I don't know. I just I like that intensity of going uphill versus downhill for sure. Well, I don't mind the downhill as long as it's not like for two days. <laughs> if it's yeah. like for for you know for a mile or two, it's kind of fun. But yeah. then the then it takes its toll on on the legs. They just your quads just it just rips into them. The, the uphill, you can always just take a breather and, and catch your breath, but it doesn't, it doesn't tax your muscles so much. It, it doesn't just destroy them like the downhill does. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. That, but the, the Pyrenees, how beautiful you stayed in, in huts or inns along the way. Yeah. Uh, this particular, uh, hike, uh, it's the Camino Francaise. There's, People often think that the Camino de Santiago, Camino de Santiago is just really one hike, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's all the trails that lead to Santiago, Spain. So there's, there's numerous starting spots all across Europe and they all end up intersecting into Santiago. But this particular route goes from Saint Jean, France the first day. And then within a few hours, you're, you're climbing the Pyrenees Mountains and going down into Spain. Um, wow. And uh, it, it's extraordinary and it's amazing. And, of course, it always depends on the time of season and the time of day that you do something like that. Because as you start to climb into altitude, the weather changes on you quickly. It's uh, The temperature changes, the wind changes, the precipitation changes. And so sometimes it's a matter of timing. You can have You can walk the same route as you can jog the same route. And one could be glamorous and amazing and the best run you've ever had. But depending on the weather, it can turn into the opposite pretty fast. True, true. But all that Basque food. Oh, my goodness. Good stuff. Good food well, it's, there. It's, it's funny you say that. I, I'm actually my grandfather. My grandfather is Basque and he Ooh. had come over. He's a Spanish Basque because 
there's Spanish Baskin, there's French Baskin. He was a Spanish Baskin. So there was a certain part in Spain early on that I crossed the Pyrenees that I came into a little Basque town and I can't remember it, but man, I could feel something. They all look like my grandpa. They were wearing the, 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 the hats like my grandpa. And I swear there was something in my DNA that said, mm, this is where you're from. Wow. That's extraordinary. What a wonderful, wonderful visit. I mean, what, what a, just a, a, a wonderful thing to discover. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty unique, but it was just like that one little twilight zone thing that you, you were, you were being, you were, you were so in the present that you go, Oh my, it, it was like the present, the present on steroids. It just became so magnified that something in your brain was just saying, wow, this, not only is this your present, but this was also your past. Yeah, that's, that's kismet. That's what that is. That really is. It's now you have also cycled across the U.S. twice, right? I have. No. I have rode a bike, okay. ocean to ocean, solo, two times. And I'm not a bicyclist, but I love the challenges. I love the challenges of the big things. I love the challenges of those goals that just seem so astronomical that you get a little bit nervous before you even take it on and think you can even do it. And, and, and really the very first grand adventure that I ever went on was pedaling a bicycle ocean to ocean. Uh, it was from San Francisco. Uh, and I dipped my back tire into the Pacific Ocean and I pedaled straight across the heartland of America. And 48 days later, I dipped my front tire in the, at Virginia Beach, Virginia in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, why did you do that for the, the first time? Well, you know, I've been a long-term vegetarian and, and right back then when I started to become a vegetarian, my, my, my body started to change and I became more lean and I lost a lot of weight. And, and some people go, Oh my gosh, you can't be a vegetarian. You, you're losing so much weight. But yet I, but yet I never had felt so healthy. I felt alive. I felt like my, I, I just felt a spirit that was just so strong. And, and now I was a runner at that time. And so I, I could run a long ways and I, I knew I have a will that is, you know, a top 1% will. I mean, if I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm going, I'm going to the end or I'm going to fall down dying trying to get there. So I knew that I was, I had strong legs and I knew that I had strong will. So I had a window in my schedule that allowed me to be able to go do this bike ride. But if I needed to do it, I needed to leave now. And so just a few days before I took off from San Francisco, I went to a store in California called REI. It's an outdoor store. I didn't even own a bike. And I bought this big, heavy metal bike with big tires. And a few days later, I was on that dude learning how to sit my butt right on that dude. So it was the least amount of pain that I could feel. And man, I just went. Because I I wanted to show people, I wanted to show people, man, I'm not healthy. I feel as strong and as amazing as I ever have. And so I said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to ride a bike across the country Mm -hmm. because that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big goal. When you say it to someone, I'm going to ride a bike across the country. It's a massive goal. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to do it. And there was no way I was going to stop. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? 
And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Wow. So how did that change your life the first time? Oh my gosh. In so many ways. Uh, so I remember I had been pedaling my butt off for, oh, I don't know. It seems about maybe 10 days. And I was at this truck stop in Salt, near Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was so tired mentally, emotionally, physically. And at this truck stop, there was this giant map on the inside of the restaurant that showed the truck routes across America. It was this huge map. And I go, okay, let me go see, let me go see how far I've gone because I'm doing really well. So I put my finger there on the left side of the map in San Francisco and I barely moved even a few inches and there was Salt Lake City. And I go, OMG, you got to be kidding me. I still got that far to go. So that was a really, a super, a super amazing lesson to me that once you start, once you start a big giant goal, you never look at the finish line, man. You do, if you're at mile one, you do not focus on mile 26.2. If you're riding across the country, you do not focus at the end as you're pedaling. All you're focused on is the next stop. Because that's all we can ever do in the days. We can make it to the next mile, make it to the next town, and then we don't overwhelm ourselves. And so at that point, I learned, man, if you want to go for big goals, do not overwhelm yourself because that's that's how we stop so much as we sabotage ourselves. Yeah, that's true. You can be so overwhelmed and just be so scared by something. If, if you're in a race, especially long mile race and think of, Oh my gosh, I, I'm doing a 30, you know, 50 K, a 30 mile race. I can't do that far. You can't focus on that. You have to focus on each, uh, like focus on each aid station. And if it's too far, then focus on each mile. You yeah, have to break it up. You're right. I, okay. So. It was in 2017. I walked across Italy. Okay. And I was walking from Milan to Rome. And I think it's mm. about, I think it's about 380 miles or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point in history, Italy just experienced Europe. It was experiencing one of the worst hot spells mm. ever. Now, when you're walking all day long and there's not a lot of shade in certain parts of Italy, there's no shade and it's 110 degrees. You're not even thinking about the next mile. I swear to goodness. You're thinking about, you're thinking about just getting up there to that road up there. Do you see that road? I, I just get there. Come on. J- just get there. I mean, you, you start breaking it down even more when the goal becomes so overwhelming. You can't even think about a mile. You just think about the next hundred yards. Mm-hmm. And I swear that's how I made it. That's how I cross. I just said, come on, just, just get to that marker right there. And then mm-hmm. when I got there, just get to that marker mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. And that's how I made it. Yeah. That's all you can do sometimes. You just have to keep yourself going in those little bitty, uh, victories, those little bitty victories. If you get one of those, you can get another and another. And then pretty soon you're done for the day. Well, that's right. And it, it, it just, it, that principle takes effect in so many other areas mm-hmm. of your life. Okay. I've written seven books mm-hmm. and writing a book 
it's a really overwhelming task when you think about it at first. You go, okay, well, what am I going to write on? What are the chapters? What are this? And you, you, so many people have stopped in chapter one. It's the same sort of thing. You mark that baby out. Today, I'm just going to, let me just, first you just focus on a chapter at a time. Right. And if that becomes too much, you focus on, you know, one of the sub points in that chapter. And that's all you got to do. That's all that's required of you to do today. You do not have to worry about what you're going to write tomorrow. You do not have to worry about chapter 10. And you don't have to worry about a conclusion that's not yet in your mind. You don't have to worry about that. Sometimes nope. people overstress themselves in life because they worry about all the things that they're not even living yet. They're worried about the things that they will have to live in the future. And that's how you become unhappy in life. If you stay focused on what you have to do, your purpose today, and you achieve what your purpose was today, that's where you find your greatest harmony and your joy. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. So you, so how many countries have you walked across? Oh, fiddlesticks. Uh, I've walked across Spain two different routes twice. Okay. I've walked across Italy. I've walked across France. I've walked coast to coast across Ireland. I've walked coast to coast across England. Okay. I've walked from the, the southern border of Portugal to the northern border of Portugal. I've walked 750 miles around Shikoku, Japan. So I think that's about eight. Mm. That 750 miles, uh, that was that what your most difficult walk? What would you say were your most difficult one was? Well, the Italy walking through the heat was heat. really, was that really was hard. The, the most, the hardest on my soul mm. because, because there's a certain point that it doesn't matter how positive or optimistic you are as a human being that you can get worn down. Yeah. And day in and day out, out walking across Italy, I mean, there were so many times that I would wake up that next morning and just go, God, why in that? Blank, 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 blank. Am I doing this right? Yeah. There's that time that you just have to, you just have this other voice inside your head that, that maybe it's trying to keep you safe or maybe trying to whatever, but it's definitely trying to sabotage you from reaching your goal. So that was my hardest walk. Shikoku was my hardest physical walk because I mean, 750 miles, that's just a long way. It's and a it's long not even, ways. It's yeah. not even like walking 750 miles around a high school track around and around and around and around. This is 750 miles up and down mountains and through jungles and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And so not only do you have that whole, it's, it, it becomes really draining every morning when you've got to put that backpack on and start trudging, especially mm -hmm. when you wake up in the morning and the rain is brutal, nasty. Mm. See, when you're walking across the country, if the rain's brutal, nasty, and you're on a schedule, you can't just, you can't say, I'm staying here today and I'm going to go tomorrow. Yeah. You, you go. And within yeah. 30 seconds, your whole body is just dripping with, with water, but you just go. You go. Yeah. I think it, in some ways, doing, doing like a multi-day event like that, not, not so event, but something that you plan for yourself. I think doing it multi-day like that, where you sleep in between is harder than doing, than, almost harder than doing it all at once because you deal every day, you deal with the soreness of the day before of the muscles soreness and, and, and uh, you get up and just do it every single day. You don't have time. If you do it all at once, you're done. And then, and then you have time to recover, but there's no time to recover if you're doing it every day. You know, and there's that whole other element to remember too. You, you've got to find food, you've got to find mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and oftentimes, okay, so there's a stretch across Spain. It's called the Mazetta. 
and it's actually walking across this desert-like area in Spain. And a lot of people that walk the Camino de Santiago, they choose to take a bus around the Mazetta mm. because it's so treacherous. But during when you walk to the Mazetta, you, you, there's no water. So you've got to carry your own water. So not only do you have 20 plus pounds on your back that you're already carrying, now you've got to carry, you know, seven pounds of water with you too. Mm -hmm. And, and you always, you, you're, you're monitoring going, okay, well, how many more miles do I think I have? How much water do I have? How's the sun? You know, you, you've got it. So you've got that little emotional stress and pressure because if you're out there, you got to have food and you got to have water. Right. And so it's almost it's to me, it's always this Indiana Jones adventure, right? It's this, you turn it into an Indiana Jones type thing and man, you got this, you got this. You asked a, a, a few minutes ago, you know, maybe about lessons I've learned. I think the one, the biggest thing that I've really learned too is, man, you got to trust in yourself because if you're rooting for yourself, if you, if you know you can, it doesn't matter who else in the world doesn't think you can't. If you're rooting for yourself, you've got the most important person in the world rooting for you. And when you walk across a country, if you got you rooting for yourself, you got a chance. Yes, yes. And if if you trust in yourself, you know that you have a purpose and there's importance in what you're doing for the purpose. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me oftentimes, well, why do you do these things? And there is a purpose behind it. I call them my axe sharpening events. So I learned after that big, that big first bike ride across America that I became a different person after I finished because I had to walk literally through fire and I survived. But when you walk through fire, you become sharper. And so these axe sharpening events, that's what they do. They sharpen my passion. They sharpen my purpose. They sharpen my confidence. And life in itself sometimes can break us down. We've got all these things every day that are just pounding us and our passion starts to diminish. Our purpose becomes less vibrant. The vision for our lives becomes more dulled or controlled by society itself. But when you go do one of these axe sharpening events, man, you come back emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically stronger than you were, maybe stronger than you've ever been. And that usually I do one of these right before I'm about to take on a new book or to take on a a speaking tour in the world somewhere or something like that. I go find my best self. I go sharpen my best self and come back. I could see that because you're out there walking and you have no, you have no choice but to think of things and to meditate and to, and to ponder over, over stuff that you have on your mind that that's why you're that's kind of why you're out there it's one of the reasons uh do you do you record things or write things that you may may want to use later uh well i'm a big journaler so i've I've been keeping a journal every day in my life for maybe 20 years i believe Mm -hmm. that the life worth living is the life worth recording so i'm always writing writing is just a way to help me communicate maybe with myself or communicate things deeper, help me be more reflective, help me understand certain things. So yeah, writing is always a big deal. So at the end of every day, I'm always pulling out uh, my computer, believe it or not. Whenever I walk across the country, I don't carry a phone that helps me with navigation, but I do carry a computer so I can write. Well, that gets heavy, a small small laptop, I hope. A little one. <laughs> yeah, it's a little MacBook Air, but I'll tell you that battery sure adds extra weight. I'll tell you that. I, yeah, yeah, it does. 
but there's some things that you can't live without. So you know what? True. True. As a writer, I got to have my computer. <laughs> well, you know, I there are a couple um a couple very uh frequent uh filmers for YouTube who do the uh who do the long backpacking trails, the real long ones like the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide trails, they take their laptops with them on those trails. That's mm. crazy. They're out there, they're out there for four or five months and they're taking laptops and their cameras. That's yeah. that's insane to me. But that's what they do and they do it well. So there you go. And that's that's purpose, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yep. You know, the, the Pacific Coast Trail or the Appalachian Trail, they, they both have such amazing, awesome appeal just to oh, go yeah. find out if you could do that. Yep. But for me, there's, there's three things that I need every day after <laughs> I finish a hike and I'm not going to find any of those on the Appalachian Trail. Number one, I need a hot shower. Number two, I need a bed. And number three, I need a cerveza because that <laughs> makes me reflect back on the day and go, wow, dude, you did it, man. Way to go. Uh, post cerveza, I always feel different about the day's hike than pre cerveza. That's true. Well, you can hike part of the Appalachian Trail. It's pretty close to the towns out there. They're pretty close. The, the, what that, that makes it different than the Pacific Crest and the Continental Divide in that they're very close to the little towns out there. And, and they set up, they have inns and, and bed and breakfast near some of the parts of the trail that you can get right on. So you can hike part of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be something to look forward to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for some reason at this time, I just love the adventure of getting on an airplane and landing in a, yeah. another country that I don't even know. I probably don't know the language for sure. There you and go. And, and as soon as I get off that, that, that plane, I mean, my general rule is when I land into a country, I'm walking all the way. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I just walk. Like when I landed in Shikoku, Japan, I, literally got off that plane and I had to ask an information booth person who did speak English. I pointed on a map and, and I wanted, I had to get to the the first Buddha temple that I was walking to because Shikoku is, is marked by 88 Buddhist temples, one after the other. Mm. And man, I had to find a way to get out of that airport and start walking. And as soon as I landed in Shikoku, that's what I did. Wow, that's incredible. So you don't even take the bus into town or the subway into town, you just start walking? Yeah, I I there's wow. only a couple times where that's been not possible really, but uh yeah. yeah, that's pretty much the general rule, man. Those two sneakers when I tie them on that first morning, that's my mode of transportation till I get home. What shoes do you like to wear? Wow. I'm one I'm really rare in this in the sense that I'm not a I'm not I don't wear boots. I don't mm-hmm. wear hiking boots. I, I want to keep my feet light. Yeah. So I always wear sneakers because my general feeling is at the end of the day, if I'm carrying a few extra pounds on each foot, I have a mm-hmm. better chance of tripping. Yeah. True. Now, I don't have the same sort of cushion and my feet get bruised often, mm-hmm. but there's been a some a pair of black Asics that I've literally walked six or seven countries with. Now, it's my shoe, man. I just wear nice. this black plain Asics running sneaker, and that's what I fly with. Very cool. Asics are a good brand, and they're f- easy to find around the world too. So, yeah, if you need and, to replace them, and it always has to be black. My shoes always have to be black because <laughs> because when you start it. walking through mud and stuff mm-hmm. like that for some mm-hmm. reason. Black doesn't look as dirty all the time, right? 
there you go. If I have to go into a restaurant or something, you don't look quite as grubby. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. great. So yeah. uh, where are some places that you're thinking of, re- of walking next? Oh, man, the, the world is so rich with trails, I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, last night, I someone hinted towards me how beautiful some castles were in Romania. So I started mm. trying to see if there were treks in Romania. But before then, there's a few trails that I that are that are more common to trekkers that I haven't done. There's a new one called the Camino de Costa Rica, which walks from one ocean to the other ocean now across Costa Rica through the jungle. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's a there's a trail that connects the northern uh, Wales with the southern tip of Wales, mm-hmm. following along the the coastline there. And having walked the coast of Ireland, that's pretty. That's going to be pretty fascinating. There's uh, a, a pretty a pretty short walk across Scotland from one side of the other. It's called the John Muir Trail, and because uh, John Muir is a Scottish, Scottish, mm-hmm. and so that goes from one side to the other. And that, that one will only take about nine or ten days. So yeah. those are some of the new ones for sure. Nice, nice. There's so many. I mean, there's there's New Zealand for some some really really cool places there. Yeah, um, now New Zealand would be really super cool and yeah. as would walking across Canada, but again, I'm not a camper. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to, I can't carry a tent and I, and I, I'm not even one of those that want to stay in a hut that's been built there because that means I have to have brought my own food that I had to cook True. and stuff like that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not that tough. I'm tough, but not that tough. Switzerland is nice. They have, they have hut, yeah. they have inns and, 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 bed and breakfast that you can stay in along the way and just, and just yeah. hike. You don't have to bring your own stuff and they have amazing food too. Yeah. Now, now I'll tell you what, that was the big cultural change when I, when I went to Japan, because you know, you think of going into a restaurant or pulling up, it just wasn't like that. So I would walk, I would, where I would sleep at night, they would feed me dinner, but I don't sit at a table to eat. First off, to, in order to come down to dinner, there's a kimono waiting for me upstairs. So I have to put my kimono on. And then I come down and then there's, I'm sitting on the floor because the table's on the floor. Yeah. And after you're, you've walked about 10 days, getting up and down <laughs> off the floor. Oh, wow. It's funny. Some of the other Japanese guests in, in total politeness would giggle at me <laughs> because, because I almost needed help getting up and down off the floor. I was hurting so badly some days. I bet. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That, that would be hard. <laughs> An extra pillow, please. <laughs> yeah. So at nighttime, you don't sleep in beds, but you sleep in, uh, oh gosh, uh, futons. Yeah. So I would always have to ask the host for extra futons because I would try to double up my futon because, oh my God, sleeping on the floor and getting up in the morning, that took some courage. Yeah. <laughs> Those are hard. <laughs> so what is extra mile day? Extra mile day is. Uh, something I created in 2009. Uh, so on my second time across the United States on a, on a bike, it, there was a reason for it. Um, so it was a tough time in America. Uh, businesses were closing, even banks were closing and foreclosures were at an all time high. And people, I felt that there was this real general feeling in America of hopelessness. And so I wanted to use my small voice and remind people that if they wanted to create positive change in their life, they couldn't 
they couldn't look at the government to do it or their boss to do it or their wife to do it or their neighbor to do that. But they had to look at the man or the woman in the mirror and they ask, you know, what are you doing to create the change that you seek? You can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over. You're going to get the same results. And so the only way I've ever discovered that you can change change your outcomes is by doing more, by adding more value, by going the extra mile. So as a symbol of going the extra mile in a Forrest Gump sort of way, I decided again to pedal across the country. But the but the real power of the tour was along the way, my staff and I had created events in 20, in 23, 21 cities where we had events with the mayors of those cities, uh, motivational events where I had the chance to uh, interview 200 people who had been pre-identified as having gone the extra mile in life, either gone the extra mile to a to, to overcome something unbelievable or to have gone the extra mile to create something of real benefit to society. Um, and then in, at the end of the tour, I gave away $10,000 of my own money to the stories that I found most inspiring. But I was pedaling through the Nevada desert and there's about a 60 mile stretch in the Nevada desert. This is at the beginning of the tour where I'm still thinking of what can we do? What can we do to create some some medium momentum for this. And so I said, well, let's, let's have this extra mile day. So we're going to, we're going to ask the mayors to recognize those in their community going the extra mile and volunteers and in, in volunteersmen service. And so I go, okay, okay. So this is a self-talk, right? And so I go, when are we going to do this? And I, all of a sudden I just saw these ones lining up one, one, one. I go, okay, 11, one, November one, that's extra mile day. So that very first year, I was elated that 23 mayors caught on to my crazy vision and they declared extra mile day. November 1st, 2009, 23 mayors made the declaration. Well, we've continued extra mile day ever since then because of those, that success of 23. And last year on November 1st, 2022, there were 512 mayors across the United States that did the same thing. That is so cool. I'm so glad it's continued on. So on November 1st, this year yeah doing yeah great. so there's a website it's my nonprofit called extra mile america.org extra mile america.org cool we'll have a and, link for that on the website yeah so. and 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 really you can go there because what we also do is when the mayors tell us who they've highlighted and tell us their story we have listed them profiled them on extra mile and there are hundreds thousands of people whose stories their pictures are now being recognized for having gone the extra mile in life. That's really cool. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. We'll have the, I'll put the link up on there. When I say we'll, I mean, I, I'll put the link up there. I don't have a crew or anything. Uh, I wish, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll do that for you. So um, are you working on, what are you working on now? What's your latest project? It was uh, a few years ago where I did a speaking tour in the Philippines. It was the first time that I had gone international. I wanted to take the extra mile messenger around the world. And uh, my staff is from the Philippines. And so that's where uh, I headed off to. And originally, when I started to try to contact people there, they said, you know, there's no way you're going to get people to come to an event, any kind of motivational events like that. Uh, and And I took it as such a huge challenge to do that I went for it. I spent 30 days there, spoke numerous times every day to all sorts of different places. 
at the end of the tour, we had accumulated over 20,000 people that had attended that event. So because of that, uh, I, I, I want to return to Asia. And so we're in the process now of creating another speaking tour to Asia. This time I'll dip a little bit into the, to Singapore. I'll head back into the Philippines and maybe stop in Korea too. Outstanding. I love your message. I love the positivity and, and the motivation you, you send out. And I really, really wish you the best of luck of content to continue it and all of your links will be on the website and everything so that people can check it out and check out all your books and everything. And I really thank you so much for being on the show. Gratitude so much. And I appreciate people like you who are, who inspire the rest of us and walk their, walk their whispers, those visions that they have of creating something amazing. I mean, anybody that, that, that's ever thought about a big project, you can only begin to understand what it was for Martha to, put together this podcast when she first had an idea of doing it, but she's following through with it and it's growing and it's becoming bigger and bigger. And it's because she, she went the extra mile. Uh, you're amazing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Gratitude. Thank you so much, Sean. That was really, really a blast talking to you. And how inspirational is that? I think that would be fun to walk or even fast pack through some countries. I would love to do that. And it would be fun doing it through places where you could stay overnight, not have to worry about camping or bringing all your food with you. Because <laughs> that's that's a lot of extra weight. Yeah, I'd do it either way. I don't care. But it would be a little bit less weight, a little bit less problematic if you could just stay in inns and bed and breakfast and things like that along the way. But that's another day and another time. And yeah, I wish him all the best of luck because he's just an extraordinary human being. All right. Now, my thing, my thing, as they say, which is soon to not be my thing, thank goodness, is almost here. It's two weeks away. I have my second and final hip surgery. It's my left hip. And it's really starting to bother me now. It's really, really hurting. I walked three miles yesterday, and oh, my God, I felt it last night. I just, uh, it hurt last night in bed. No matter if I was sleeping on my right side or not, it hurt. And yeah, it's it's starting to get to me. It's not long now, though. It's almost here. So I'm look really looking forward to getting this done and getting into physical therapy and soon, soon, soon starting to run again. I have races lined up. I'm going to run <laughs> after this is all over. I do. I know I want to go long. I know I want to do at least 100 miler. I know I'm going to do it. I just know I am. I, there's no question about that. I'm going to do it. So we'll, I'll keep you abreast of that and we'll, you know, you'll be a part of this. You'll be along for the ride. <laughs> So I hope you stay tuned because it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, it's going to be a blast. We'll we'll do this together, you and me. <laughs> so I hope you are having amazing runs. Oh, and it it's been really cold here in the SF in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was so cold. There's snow in the foothills. Yeah, in Mount Diablo and Mount Tamalpais and all over. There's snow, and unfortunately, I am not 
well enough or a good enough hiker right now to go up and enjoy it, which kind of makes me sad. I really wish I could have gone up to Mount Tam and just had fun in some of that snow this weekend, but I, I can't, I can't do it. So maybe next year, if they, if it happens again next year, I will do it. I don't know, maybe. And right now I'm just enjoying all my friends who are posting pictures of them running in the snow. So that's pretty cool. If it doesn't happen here next year, I'll go up and go up to the snow where it is and I'll enjoy it there. So I don't feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> all right. Well, you have wonderful running week and you let me know how it goes. And thank you so much for listening. And everything is on the website. All of Sean's information is on the website at MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. You know where it is. And until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run.